Hello, and welcome to And Let's Be Heard for Monday, December 19th, 2022. I'm Mike Kachopoli. Okay, here we go, the beginning of another week. I think this is the last full week before, yeah, this is the last full week before a holiday start. It's going to be interesting because Christmas and New Year's are both weekends this year, right? So we have weekend holidays, so I guess Monday, the Monday after is going to be the official holiday, right? So it's actually three-day weekends, right? We get back-to-back three-day weekends, basically, <clears throat> where the day after Christmas and the day after New Year's is going to be the official holiday. Because, you know, we can't miss out on a holiday in this country. No, no, no. We can never miss out on a holiday here. We have to have at least one day off. Have to. It's the American way. So we're, gonna, we're not going to let the idea, the fact that Christmas and New Year's falls on weekends to rob us of our holiday. So we'll have our three-day weekends. But this is the f- last full week before what I expect to be. I'll be on next week, but, you know, that week between Christmas and New Year's is tough. Tough. People go away. People want to tune out. I don't blame them. But there's so much to tune into. There's so much to tune into now. You know, I really wish this Twitter stuff wasn't happening, to tell you the truth. I truly b- wish there was real free speech and there were no First Amendment violations and there weren't people in this country who wanted to control over others so much that they need to censor opposing opinions. But we have all this. And because we have all this, it gives me something to talk about. <laughs> so I want to thank Michael Schellenberger, Elon Musk, Matt Taibbi, uh, Barry Weiss for putting this stuff up and really breaking it all down, breaking it all down. Now, over the weekend, we had, I think, like a supplemental parts. Now, there's not only parts, there are supplemental parts now. So we had the supplemental part six about how the FBI was, uh, you know, interfering and censoring people basically through Twitter, through their buddies at Twitter. Remember, this is the San Francisco FBI Bureau, right? What's the guy's name that we keep on hearing? Elvis Chan. I'm tired of the names Elvis Chan and Yoel Roth. I'm seeing these names in my nightmares. I'm tired of them. Elvis Chan. Wasn't there something else? Chan? Oh, was it 4chan? Is it the same thing? I don't know. Probably not. But we're seeing these names over and over again. It was This is the San Francisco Bureau. So look, the San, look we know the San Francisco-based Twitter was 99% Democrats, right? So the San Francisco FBI Bureau, once again, these people who live in San Francisco, they were probably liberals also. They will probably, we shouldn't know, it shouldn't matter if an FBI agent is liberal or conservative, or, but they're all something, right? They all have a political opinion. So we can just assume, because they're in San Francisco, they live in San Francisco, based in San Francisco, because of what they did with their friends at Twitter, that they were also extreme lefties and they wanted to push a certain narrative. Very dangerous. I talk about the journalists pushing a certain narrative and how dangerous that is. When you have the FBI, when you have these official government people with guns also pushing a, a, a certain narrative, um, it's a problem. It's a huge problem. It's very dangerous. It's very, very, very dangerous. And so we're seeing the San Francisco FBI Bureau constantly, constantly making contact with the San Francisco-owned Twitter, San Francisco-based Twitter, and people like Yoel Roth and asking them to censor people. Now, Yoel Roth is interesting. I'll get to Twitter Files Part 7, which came out earlier today. 
And I, you know, I was a little disappointed. I thought part seven was going to be the Fauci files. Maybe that's part eight or part 10 or whatever. But part seven is still with the FBI and the Hunter Biden laptop, which is, look, I don't want to dismiss it. It's, it's very important, but you know, COVID's my thing. But um, this is very important. And this really shows now in, in part seven, how the FBI and the intelligence community discredited, not opinions, not opinions, factual information about Hunter Biden's foreign business deal. It's bad enough when they say, look, this opinion we don't like, which is obviously satire, which they don't get half the time, which is frightening. We want that taken down. That's dangerous enough. But this is factual information that they discredit in order to make people not believe it. And in fact, if you're watching CNN, MSNBC, not even and Twitter, not even hear about it. It doesn't exist. The only way this existed on Twitter is by people like myself and other people saying, hey, where? come on, talk about this. Look, this, this is a real thing. Talk about it. But they were able to eliminate it from 95% of journalism, right? 95% of the legacy media did not cover the Hunter Biden laptop, partly because they don't want to and partly through just omit, omission by FBI censoring and taking this stuff off Twitter so it's not out there to be talked about, right? So I'll get to that in a second. I'll get to Michael Schellenberger's Twitter files, part seven, FBI and the Hunter Biden laptop. And as usual, we'll go through this stuff together. I, I perused it. I perused. And it's frightening. I mean, it's overwhelmingly frightening. That's the way I find this stuff now. Overwhelmingly frightening. It really is. The more you, it's, not, it's like you want to read it, but you don't want to read it, right? It's like I'm looking at the screen. I'm looking at it. I'm thinking, do I want to keep reading this? I mean, this is just frightening. You want to pretend it doesn't exist. Wouldn't it be nice if we could all do what the left does and just pretend things don't exist that we don't want to exist? Pretend, pretend, pretend a Biden laptop never happened. Oh, pretend masks were magical devices of cloth. Pretend these vaccines were as good as the, uh, uh, you know, uh, polio vaccine. Just live in a world, live in that world that's so perfect. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about it. It's so nice and so comfortable and so warm in this world. But we can't do that here, right? We have to try to live in, in, in reality here. We have to try to live in, in reality. We do. But going through this, perusing this whole thing, we basically see that I don't want to give Yoel too much credit here. All right? I don't want to give Yoel too much credit. But there were a couple of instances, and we'll get to this one in a second, where he was kind of pushing back a little bit against the FBI. He was kind of saying, look, this is not your business, okay? And you're asking us to investigate things, and we're investigating them, and we're finding out. The stuff we're finding out is not what you want to hear, and you want to hear different things. The FBI wanted a different reality than what was the actual reality. And so a couple of incidents, you see Yoel Roth saying, you know what, I, I, I think he might have started to, he started to, let's say, regret buddying up to Elvis Chan so much at the FBI and Fred, whoever Fred is. Um, and I think this is what happens when you, you lie down with dogs. You wake up with fleas, which is why you never lie down with dogs. And they started to lie down with these FBI dogs. And they became too buddy-buddy is what happened. And then the FBI started pushing it. Once again, I've said this before when it comes to the government here. 
you can't give them anything because you give them a little bit, they want a little bit more, right? I said, you give them a finger, they want a hand, a hand, they want an arm. And so that's what happened. They buddied up too much to the FBI and they gave them too much. And then they expected everything from them when they should have given them nothing. Okay. This is what they should have done. If I were working, if I have had Yoel Roth's position, I would have said to the FBI who look into things that have to do with terrorism and, and, and threats, foreign, domestic, I get that. I would say, look, you, when you have infra, when you have a judge, a judge's order, a court order saying we must give you this information, then we'll give you the information as long as our lawyers say it's okay. But unless you have a judge's order, a court order, you go through the courts, you see. You go through the courts and you ask, but you know what you all Roth wanted to do, which is why I can't give him too much credit? He wanted to be buddies with an FBI agent. He wanted to be buddies. They wanted to be buddies. It's power, man. Hey, look, I give the FBI information. I'm an informant. Basically, basically he was an informant. You all Roth was an informant on American citizens. That's what he was, an informant on American citizens. And he became very buddy-buddy, and he, he enjoyed that power. And he enjoyed having friends in, quote-unquote, high places, if you consider the San Francisco FBI Bureau. If you, if you consider anything that's based in San Francisco a high place, I don't know how you can walk the streets. It's a very low place. But anyway, that's what they felt. And that's why he got into this situation. And then Elvis Chan was expecting results, right? It was like Elvis Chan was a detective, and they pay off the the informants, and then they expect results, right? Come on, we're we're friends. You're an informant. Where, where's the results? We want the results, buddy. But like I said, if Yoel Roth had done his job and was a true American, he simply would have said, no, if you have something, if you have a court order saying we must release this information, if you have a court order, then fine. But if you have no court order, if you don't go through the courts, uh, take a walk, Elvis, leave the building. But he didn't do that. And then we get into this situation, which we're into now. Um, and we'll talk more in a bit about Elon Musk possibly stepping down. The big thing over the weekend was he put up a poll saying, do you want me to not be CEO? And the majority said, no, don't be CEO, step down. And of course, you know, this could just be. This could just this rumor that he just wanted to try to um, flesh out the bots. And so if you think about it, 57 percent of that poll, I know it's not a scientific poll. It's only up there for a day. But 57 percent of people said, yes, step down. Who are those people? I thought the liberals left Twitter. I thought they all got scared and left. And I thought they had such principles. They were going to leave Twitter a month ago when he when he when he when he bought it. But if 57% of people are saying, no, step down, we don't want you as CEO, we know they're not Republicans, they're not conservatives. I voted no, I want him to stay. Everyone I know on Twitter who's, who's a moderate or a conservative loves Elon Musk, they want him to stay. So these people who want to go are like Stephen King, right, and Rob Reiner. I thought they all left. So either they didn't leave or these are a lot of robot fake accounts, which to me makes more sense. I don't think six out of ten people on Twitter now who follow Elon Musk would want him to step down as CEO. So we'll see where that goes. But of course, the news media, maybe he also, maybe Elon also wanted to prove how fake the news media is. Because instead of telling the real story, the story was Elon Musk put up a poll asking people if they wanted him to step down as CEO of Twitter, not as owner of Twitter. 
But if you watched half the news stories, or if you went online and looked at the at the headlines, it was 57%, the majority of Twitter, you, first of all, most of the headlines said this from the fake news media, proving how fake news they are. They couldn't even get this simple, easy fucking story right. Right. They said the majority of Twitter users, of course, that's wrong. It's not the majority. It's the majority of people who took that poll, not the majority of Twitter users. The majority of, 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 of Twitter users who took that poll want Elon Musk to go away, to leave. That wasn't the, that wasn't the question. It wasn't sell Twitter. It was step down as CEO. But the news media ran it as every most of the, the majority of Twitter want to, Elon Musk to go away forever. That wasn't the case. It shows this fake news media can't even get something that simple right. Well, they can, but they don't want to. So they want to make it sound like everyone on Twitter hates him. That's what they want to make it sound like. That wasn't the case. The majority of people who answered that poll in a 20-hour period want him to step down as CEO, not owner of Twitter. It's a big difference. And tell you the truth, I'm sure Musk wants to step down as CEO and get his... Usually by this point, a new owner has a CEO. Often a new owner comes in with a CEO. This is very rare for there not to be a CEO by now, six weeks into this. So I'm sure he wants a CEO anyway. I'm sure he wants to hire someone. He cannot do this. As much as we like Elon tweeting, Elon can't just concentrate on tweeting 35,000 times a day, every day. He's got other companies to run, and they're hurting. So I'm sure he wants a CEO. So he's going to, whether it's today, tomorrow, or two months from now, he's going to step down as CEO and have someone else be CEO. Doesn't mean he can't tweet. Doesn't mean he's not still the owner of it. Doesn't mean he doesn't decide what happens. He's the boss of the CEO. But it really shows. It really shows how the news media just simply can't get anything right. Or they don't want to get anything right. Something as simple as that. Something as simple as that. Mike, you work for the blah, blah, blah. Mike, you, I'm a writer, all right? I'm a writer for the Times. Write a story about that poll. Well, I'm, I'm going to be fair and accurate. I'm going to say the majority of the people who took that poll, which ran for one day, said Elon Musk should step down as CEO of Twitter. That, that's the proper headline. That's the proper headline. Not the majority of Twitter wants him to go away. <laughs> These people are insane. You know, it's amazing. We cannot listen to one thing they say anymore, but more frighteningly than we get into now, we can't listen to one thing our FBI says anymore. Twitter files, part seven. The FBI and the Hunter Biden laptop. Michael Schellenberger says how the FBI and the intelligence community discredited factual information about Hunter Biden's foreign business dealings, both before, both after and before the New York Post revealed the contents of his laptop on October 14, 2020, two weeks, a little more than two weeks before the election. In the Twitter files, part six, we saw the FBI relentlessly seek to exercise influence over Twitter, including over its content, its users and its data. In Twitter Files Part 7, we present evidence pointing to an organized effort by representatives of the intelligence community aimed at senior executives at news and social media companies to discredit leaked information about Hunter Biden before and after it was published. The story begins in December of 2019, when a Delaware computer store owner named John Paul McIsaac, you've seen him with the funny hat, contacts the FBI about a laptop that Hunter Biden had left with him. On December 9th, 
2019, the FBI issues a subpoena for and takes the laptop away from McIsaac. By August of 2020, McIsaac still had not heard back from the FBI. So we're talking, how, how many months is that? What are we talking here? December to August, so January, February, March. So eight months later, think about that. The FBI just takes the laptops away from him. And eight months later, he still hadn't heard back from them. McIsaac hadn't heard back, even though he had discovered evidence of criminal activity. And so he emails Rudy Giuliani, who was under FBI surveillance at the time. In early October, Giuliani gives it to the Post. Shortly after 7 p.m. on October 13, Hunter Biden's lawyer, George Maziris, emails McIsaac. Hunter and Maziris had just learned from the New York Post that a story about the laptop would be published the next day. John Paul, thank you for speaking with me tonight. As I indicated, I'm a lawyer for Hunter Biden. I appreciate you reviewing your records on this matter. Thank you. Sent to McIsaac. At 9.22 Eastern, FBI agent, here we go. At 9.22 Eastern, FBI Special Agent Elvis Chan sends 10 documents to Twitter, then head of site integrity Joel Ro- Yoel Roth through tele- Teleporter, a one-way communications channel from the FBI to Twitter. Twitter folks, heads up. I'll be sending a Teleporter link for you to download 10 documents. It's not spam. Please confirm receipt when you get it. Thanks, Elvis Chan. Yoel Roth says, received and downloaded. Thanks! Exclamation point. <clears throat> the next day, October 14, 2020, the New York Post runs his explosive story revealing the business dealings of President Joe Biden's son, Hunter. Every single fact in it was accurate. And yet, within hours, Twitter and other social media companies censored the New York Post article, preventing it from spreading and, more importantly, undermining its credibility in the minds of many Americans. Why is that? What exactly happened? Well, on, on December 2nd, Matt, as Matt Taibbi described, the debate inside Twitter over its decision to censor a wholly accurate article. Since then, we have discovered new... Oh, okay, on December 2nd this year, Taibbi described the debate inside Twitter over its decision to censor this. Since then, we've discovered a new info that points to an organized effort by the intelligence community to influence Twitter and other platforms. First, it's important to understand that Hunter Biden earned tens of millions of dollars in contracts with foreign businesses, including ones linked to China's government, for which Hunter offered no real work. And there's an, if you go into number 11 on Michael Schellenberger's thread, there's an overview by investigative journalist Peter Schweizer. He talks about it. And yet, during all of 2020, the FBI and other law enforcement agencies repeatedly primed Yoel Roth to dismiss reports of Hunter Biden's laptop as a Russian hack and leak operation. This is from a sworn declaration by Roth given in December of 2020, and he shows the declaration about that. They did the same to Facebook. According to CEO Mark Zuckerberg, the, and this was on Joe Rogan's show, the FBI basically came to us and was like, hey, you should be on high alert. We thought there was a lot of Russian propaganda in 2016 election. There's about to be some kind of dump similar to that. So the FBI was falsely telling Twitter and Zuckerberg that the, the lap, Hunter Biden laptop stuff was Russian disinformation, a la 2016, even though there was nothing proven in 2016 either. You see how crazy this is? And once again, every fact in that New York Post article was correct. Were the FBI warnings of a Russian hack and leak operation relating to Hunter Biden based on any new intelligence? Nope. 
Through our investigations, we did not see any similar competing intrusions to what happened in 2016, even though, of course, nothing happened in 2016, admitted Elvis Chan in November. Indeed, Twitter executives repeatedly reported very little Russian activity. Uh, Example, on September 24 of 2020, Twitter told FBI had removed 345 largely inactive accounts linked to previous coordinated Russian hacking attempts. They had little reach and basically no followers. In fact, Twitter debunked false claims by journalists of foreign interference on his platform. We haven't seen any evidence to support that claim. Our review thus far shows a small-scale domestic troll effort. After FBI asks about a Washington Post story on alleged foreign influence in a pro-Trump tweet, Twitter's Roth says, the article makes a lot of insinuations, but we saw no evidence that there was, this was the case here. And in fact, a lot of strong evidence pointing in other directions. It's not the first time that Twitter's Roth has pushed back, as I was saying earlier, against the FBI. In January 2020, Roth resisted FBI efforts to get Twitter to share data outside the normal search warrant process. So, okay, here in this situation, Elvis Chan, Elvis Chan, Yoel Roth says, you got to get a warrant from a judge before we give you anything. This should have been said, of course, from day one. This should have been said from day one when they when they developed this relationship with the FBI. Like I said, that should have been developed from day one. They should have said anything, anything that comes to censoring anybody or giving you any information, you need to get a court order. Or we can't help you. But that once once again, that wasn't the case. But in this case, in this case, uh, it was. Let me let me read the Yoel Roth response to this, uh, asking for this here, uh, here, from, yeah, to Elvis. Hey, as discussed here is my suggestion response. Of course, feel free to tweak at it, but I try to hit on a major point. At this point, we don't think a call directly with your colleague at the fort is the best path forward. As a rule, we're not able to directly discuss data licensing relationship with third parties, due both due to confidential reasons and limited information on our end about the business decisions that we may have led to one of our customers decline to provide service to the government. We have a long-standing policy prohibiting the use of our data products and APIs for surveillance and intelligence gathering purposes, which we will not deviate from. Ultimately, we want to be good partners. See, here, ultimately, we want to be good partners to government and help combat our shared threats. But the best path for NSA or any part of government to request information about Twitter users or their content is in accordance with a valid legal process. Pressure had been growing. This is Schellenberger again. We have seen a sustained, if uncoordinated, effort by the IC intelligence community to push us to share more info and change our API policies. In other words, don't worry about court orders. Don't worry about search warrants. (laughs) Can you imagine doing this when it comes to breaking down someone's door? They are probing and pushing everywhere they can, including by whispering to congressional staff. This is very interesting right here. Yeah. Uh, I definitely, this is uh, Carlos Monge to Yoel Roth. I definitely agree with the caution here. This is where he talks about we've seen a sustained coordinator impact, but whispering to congressional staff. Okay. So that would mean putting government pressure, congressional pressure, political pressure on Twitter. Time and again, FBI asked Twitter for evidence of foreign influence, and Twitter responds that they're not finding anything. We haven't yet identified activity we typically refer to you or even flag. 
Despite Twitter's pushback, the FBI repeatedly requests information from Twitter that Twitter has already made clear will not share outside of normal legal channels. Then in July of 2020, the FBI's Elvis Chan arranges for temporary top-secret clearance for Twitter executives that the FBI can share information about threats to the upcoming elections. On August 11th, now think about the power. See, this is, this is Elvis Chan saying, we're going to give you top-secret. You nobody, you nobody techie, basically. Someone that should, you all should never have any top secret security clearance. But we're going to give you this, you see. So that's the FBI. This is like a, they, they must learn this in FBI school. They give them power. You see, they say, we're, gonna, we're giving you this power. We're making you important. We're giving this to you. On August 11, 2020, the FBI's Chan shares information with Twitter's Roth relating to the Russian hacking organization APT28 through the FBI's Secure One-Way Communications Channel. Recently, Yoel Roth told uh, Kara Swisher that he had been primed to think about the Russian hacking group APT28 before news of the Hunter Biden laptop came out. When it did, Roth said, so if every single one of my finely tuned APT28 hack and leap campaign alarm bells... In August of 2020, FBI's Chan asked Twitter, does anyone there have top secret clearance? When someone mentions Jim Baker, Chan responds, I don't know how I forgot him. An odd claim, given Chan's job is to monitor Twitter, not to mention that they work together at the FBI as well. Who is Jim Baker? He's former general counsel of the FBI from 2014 to 2018 and one of the most powerful men in the U.S. intelligence community. Baker has moved in and out of government for 30 years, serving stints at CNN, Bridgewater, which is a $440 billion asset management firm, and Brookings. All the fun places, all the best places. As general counsel of the FBI, Baker played, played a central role in making the case internally for an investigation of, guess who? Donald John Trump. What a coincidence, huh? Baker wasn't the only senior FBI executive involved in the Trump investigation to go to Twitter. Dawn Burton, the former deputy chief of staff to former head James Comey, who initiated the investigation of Trump, joined Twitter in 2019 as director of strategy. All the worms, all the worms. As of 2020, there were so many former FBI employees, Boo alumni, working at Twitter that they had created their own private Slack channel and a crib sheet to onboard new FBI arrivals. And then he shows a screenshot of, hey, Jim, so excited you're here. I'm no longer the newest Boo alum. Here is to the Boo alum. Blue, here, is, here is the Boo to Twitter transition chart I mentioned. Adding Dawn so she can add correct. Again, welcome. Super pumped to work with you again. This is from Matt Williams to Jim Baker. Look at all these people. Holy shit. <laughs> Incredible. So the Twitter at this point basically is like is like like I said it, it, it's almost like a, a subsidiary of the FBI, right? It's like FBI light. Efforts continue to influence Twitter's Joel Roth. In September of 2020, Roth participated in Aspen Institute tabletop exercises, and a potential hack-and-dump operation relating to Biden, Hunter Biden. The goal was to shape how the media covered it and how social media carried it. The organizer was Vivian Schiller, the former CEO of NPR, former head of news at Twitter, former general manager of the New York Times, former chief digital officer of NBC News. Attended included Meta FB's head of security policy, 
and the top national security reporters for the Times, the Washington Post, and others. I got to go through the comments. It's nice that they allow comments, but, you know, it kind of clutters up the whole thread. But, of course, people are commenting because this is just, how can you not? I mean, how can you not comment on all this? Did I lose my space? Or was that the last of the dump here? Um, is this not incredible? It really, is this not incredible what we're hearing here? I mean, this goes so deep. This goes much deeper than any of us expected. I mean, we, we here by mid-September of 2020, Chan and Roth had set up an encrypted messaging network so employees from FBI and Twitter could communicate. They also agreed to create a virtual war room for all the Internet industry plus FBI and ODN, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. Then, on September 15, 2020, the FBI's Laura Delnlow, who heads up the Foreign Influence Task Force, and Elvis Chan, requested to give a classified briefing for Jim Baker without any other Twitter staff, such as Yoel Roth present, just for Jim's ears. On October 14th, shortly after the Post publishes this Hunter Biden laptop story, Roth says, it isn't clearly violative of our hacked materials policy, nor is it clearly in violation of anything else, but adds, this feels a lot like a somewhat subtle leak operation. I get the feeling, I get the feeling. In response to Roth, Baker repeatedly insists that the Hunter Biden materials were either faked, hacked, or both, and a violation of Twitter policy. Baker does so over email in the Google Doc on October 14 and 15. And yet, it's inconceivable Baker believed the Hunter Biden emails were either fake or hacked. The New York Post had included a picture of the receipt signed by Hunter Biden, and an FBI subpoena showed that the agency had taken possession of the laptop earlier in December of 2019. As for the FBI, it likely would have taken a few hours for it to confirm that the laptop had belonged to Hunter Biden. Indeed, it only took a few days for journalist Peter Schweitzer to prove it. Another video of Peter Schweitzer. By 10 a.m., Twitter execs had bought into the wild hack and dump story. What do you know? What do you know? The suggestion from experts, which rings true, is there was a hack that happened separately, and they loaded the hacked materials on the laptop that magically appeared at the repair shop in Delaware. At 3.38 p.m. that same day, October 14, Baker arranges a phone conversation with Matthew J. Perry in the office of the general counsel of the FBI. The influence operation persuaded Twitter execs that the Hunter Biden laptop did not come from a whistleblower. One link to a Hill article based on a Washington Post article from October 15th, which falsely suggested that Giuliani's leak of the laptop had something to do with Russia. So it was once again fake news. So they leaked the FBI, promoted fake news. They, they, they sent fake news to Yoel Roth and Twitter to try to prove their point. Written by a journalist, written by a fake news journalist. There is evidence that FBI agents have warned elected officials of foreign influence with the primary goal of leaking the information to the news media. This is a policy dirty trick used to create the perception of impropriety. In 2020, the FBI gave a briefing to Senator Grassley and Johnson claiming evidence of Russian interference into their investigation of Hunter Biden. The briefing angered the senators who said it was done to discredit their investigation. The unnecessary FBI briefing provided the Democrats and liberal media the vehicle to spread their false narrative that our work advanced Russian disinformation. Notably, then-FBI General Counsel Jim Baker was investigated twice 
in 2017 and 2019 for leaking information to the news media. You're saying he's under criminal investigation? That's why you're not letting him answer, Meadows asked. Yes. In the end, the FBI's influence campaign aimed at executives at news media, Twitter, and other social media companies worked. They censored and discredited the Hunter Biden laptop story. And by December of 2020, Baker and his colleague even sent a note of thanks to the FBI for its work. And you can read it. It's very tiny print. He links to the thank you email. The FBI's influence campaign may have helped by the fact, may have been helped by the fact that it was paying Twitter millions of dollars for its staff time. I'm happy to report we have collected $3.4 million since October 2019, reports an associate of Jim Baker in early 2020. Jim, FYI, in 2019, Scale instituted a reimbursement program for our legal process response from the FBI. Prior to the start of the program, Twitter chose not to collect under the statutory right of reimbursement for the time spent processing requests home from the FBI. I am happy to report we have collected $3.4 million. Incredible. This is incredible. And the pressure from the FBI on social media platforms continues. Just recently, in August of this year, Twitter execs prepared for a meeting with the FBI, whose goal was to convince us to produce on more FBI EDRs. EDRs are an emergency disclosure request, a warrantless search, using that word. Isn't that word they love so much? Emergency, emergency, emergency. Meaning they can do whatever the fuck they want and shit on the Constitution. In response to the Twitter files revelation of high-level FBI agents at Twitter, Jim Jordan said, I have concerns about whether the government was running a misinformation operation on We the People. Anyone who reads the Twitter files, regardless of their political orientation, should share those concerns. End. Oh, my goodness. And, of course, this is what you'll hear from 95% of the legacy media. That's what you'll hear from 95% of the legacy media. Oh, no, we knew all this. Oh, no, FBI has the right to do this. This is fine. You know, these people are so disgusting. They are really disgusting. There's un- there is un- un-American as you can get. There's un-American. Anyone who, look, any anyone who supports this is a traitor. Anyone who supports this stuff is a traitor to the, to, to, to the United States of America, to the American way of life, to the Constitution. And Elvis Chan needs to go to jail. Don't pass go. Don't collect $200 right to fucking jail. Elvis Chen, I, I think they should arrest all 80 of them in that FBI. There should be a raid. Some kind of raids. There should be a raid of the FBI, San Francisco FBI headquarters, and all 80 of them should be arrested. But Elvis Chen, obviously, from all the evidence here, is the leader, is the ringleader. Now, now of course, he couldn't do it without the 79 other people. I'm sure they were all doing their part, right? But Elvis Chen was the ringleader in all of this. I don't really feel bad for Yoel Roth. I, I know that there's a couple of things he was doing that were pushing back. But in the, once again, he got into bed with these people. In the end, he did exactly what they wanted, right? He got into bed with these people. We've seen that from the first six dumps. And in the end of dump number seven, he still does exactly what they want. So I have no sympathy for Yoel Roth. Yoel Roth is a disgusting individual, also probably needs to be prosecuted, also probably needs an indictment. But obviously, Elvis Chan was doing much of the work, right? And now what Yoel Roth will say, if I'm his defense attorney, which I hope he has one soon and needs one, will say, 
it's the FBI, man. So Yoel Roth is just a, a techie at Twitter, and he's afraid of saying no to the FBI. They'll say, look, he tried a couple of times, but it's the FBI, and Yoel was afraid. He thought he had to follow. How about this? They'll use this excuse. They'll use the excuse everyone used in Nazi Germany and what they used over the last three years for COVID. They'll say he was just following orders, following orders from the important people, following orders from the powerful people, following orders from people in charge. That's all Yoel was doing. So you can't blame him for following orders. But we know you can. We know you can. You can blame someone for following illegal, unconstitutional orders. Absolutely. As an American citizen, you must defend the Constitution. I don't care if the CIA, the FBI, Joe Biden, Jill Biden, Hunter Biden, Kamala, I don't give a fuck. It's your job as an American citizen to protect and defend this Constitution, if, even if the others aren't, even if the elected officials and those in powerful positions are not. It's your job to do that. What you all should have done was gone to his, their lawyers. Where were the lawyers? Where are where the Twitter lawyers in this $45 billion, we know it's not worth $45 billion, but in this multi-billion dollar company with 200, 250 million users, where were the lawyers? So if I'm if I'm feeling pressure, if I'm you all Roth and I'm feeling pressure from the FBI, I'm going to my lawyers. I'm saying you handle this. You're the you're the lawyers. Where where what where were they? Where were they? Did they have any lawyers? They had to have lawyers. Why wouldn't why weren't they used? If you all Roth was feeling such pressure to follow orders from the FBI that he was buddy buddy with, why didn't he simply go? to the lawyers and give it to them. So there's so many things that Yoel Roth did wrong. And I believe my opinion is that he did it because he didn't want to send it. He really wanted to comply with the FBI. Once again, because his his political persuasions, his his the narrative he wanted to push, his left-leaning, far left-leaning ways were to do all this to help Joe Biden and to hurt Donald Trump. Remember, whether it's the Russia, Russia, Russia of 2016 or this FBI interference of 2020, it's all Trump derangement syndrome. I would guarantee you, well, first of all, we, haven't, we never saw this before Trump, right? We never saw this before Trump. I don't believe if this was Mitt Romney or, or, uh, or uh, John, uh, John McCain or a type like that, that they would bother with any of this stuff. I'd even gather with Ron DeSantis, they wouldn't bother any of this stuff. Maybe I'm wrong there, but not like Trump, not like the derangement syndrome. And this, this, see, this disease, this true disease, Trump derangement syndrome, touched everyone. There was no one who was impervious to this, right? You had journalists, you had people who worked at Twitter, you had techies, you had FBI agents, you have politicians. It, it, it's so pervade. This disease is so bad. And masking can't stop it, by the way, in case you were thinking about that. Only uncommon sense can stop it. Only having a true moral center, moral core, ethical, being an ethical, moral person can stop this disease, can prevent you from getting it. But you see all the people who had this disease. And the disease, the unsaid thing within everyone that has this disease is we're going to do whatever we have to to make sure Trump loses. If it's illegal, we're doing it. Okay, if it's pushing the envelope legal wise, if it's totally illegal, if it's unconstitutional, who cares? Why? 
as 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 I have thought of many times, and I heard yesterday on Fox, all of these people, all of these lefty people who hated Donald Trump, who had Trump derangement syndrome, truly believed that this was the right thing to do. That even if they had to break the law or do unconstitutional things, that they were stopping fascist Republicans and fascist Trump from winning again. You see, that's how they thought about it. That's how they rationalized it. Larry Elder said that yesterday, and he's 100% right. This was all their rationalization. This was their groupthink rationalization, was that no matter what, we're doing this. And once again, this was all unsaid. This was, you'll never see this in any emails. This was never said out loud. But the mindset, the groupthink, the cult think was, we are, we are defeating Donald Trump. We are defeating Trumpism. We're defeating Republican fascism. So it's the right thing to do no matter what. That is why this all happened and continues to happen. What's passed is prologue. This is happening now. This has not stopped. It's continued, as we're going to hopefully see, and I'm hoping Twitter files eight or nine or beyond into COVID, into the Biden administration, right? All this has now led us to what? To basically December, just after the election, right? Just, just, just as the vaccine rollout is, this is all, this all has now led us right to the vaccine rollout period. We got two more years, right? Since we have two years since then now. It's been two years since the vaccine rollout. It's been two years, over two years now since this election. Now we're going to start seeing the FBI, the CDC, the NIH, Fauci, all coming together for COVID as well to, to, to push their own narrative. On COVID, once again, stomping on the First Amendment, stomping on democracy, stomping on the Constitution, it's not going to matter. That's what we're about to see. This is what this is all leading up to. Yeah, Daniel said, James. okay, James Baker was that lawyer. They had to have other lawyers. It couldn't have just been Baker. Come on, Twitter didn't have a whole team of lawyers. What about, how about about the lawyers who weren't former FBI people? There had to be lawyers that weren't former FBI people. There had to be lawyers who, if this was presented to them, would have said, woo, woo, we better watch out here. This is like First Amendment stuff. There's not one lawyer who worked at Twitter who said this is like First Amendment violation stuff. We, this is very dangerous. This is a slippery slope. No one ever said the word slippery slope. Not one lawyer? So yeah, I know James Burke was the general counsel. He was the top guy. So the only answer is, going with that logic, is that he prevented any of the – it all stopped with him. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't present this to any of the other lawyers. It all, it all stopped at his desk, and that's it. He didn't let it go further because he knew there were probably some good lawyers with, with conscience, with a conscience who knew the actual law, who would have stopped it or tried to stop it. So the only answer, the only logical answer to this is Jim Baker hid it from everyone else. That it got to him, and that was the end of it. Even if he had a team of 30 lawyers or 40 lawyers, that was it. They, they never saw any of this. Is that possible? But is that possible? Could be. I mean, if he was a general counsel, if he was a lead guy, it's very possible that the lead guy doesn't show it to anybody else. We know he we know he deleted stuff. That's why Elon had to kick him out. We know he was deleting stuff. So if he had that kind of power, it's very possible it never got to anyone else. But if I'm Yoel Roth, I'm not just relying on Jim, Jim Baker. I'm not just... 
Yoel Roth knows he's former FBI. He knows all this stuff. He knows his background. He was FBI in 20, as, as late as 2018. So if you're Yoel Roth, you're not thinking, oh, there might be. And then, and then Elvis Chan is having these private meetings with him. You're not thinking for a second that something might be up, that maybe we need to go to someone who has a different point of view, who wasn't former FBI, who wasn't buddies with Elvis Chan, who wasn't just fresh out of the FBI. Yoel Roth is not thinking that. Come on. This is ridiculous. I mean, the more you think about this, the more you realize that these people were for all complicit. They all had their little part, some bigger than others, in really trashing the Constitution. It didn't matter. They were trying to get around it any way they could, right? Emergency orders, giving them uh, security clearance. Uh, they even mentioned that we try to get a, we're trying to get around this with the emergency orders. We're trying to get around search warrants, right? We're trying to get around going through a judge because they knew any judge, any judge would have said, fuck you, no, Where, where's, the, where's the proof? Where is the proof? You do, you do not have the right to have access to this information without proof. You don't have the right to have access to this. It's like going into someone, you can't go into someone's apartment. You can't just go in someone's house and search without proof, without a search warrant signed by a judge. It's the same thing. Twitter is this house. Just visualize it as a house, as a private house. It's a private business. You can't go in there and investigate and go through and have your grubby hands go through this stuff without a judge, without a court order. And Yoel Roth told them that at one point, and they just said, oh, fuck that. Oh, Daniel, how you doing? Okay. So here's, my, right. here's my summary of the, um, the dump for today. Mm -hmm. The uh, FBI had the laptop for many months. They knew it was on it, of course. Um, of course, they know it's real. It's right there in their in their hands. And they spent um, many months after that um, conditioning uh, Twitter, Joel Roth and Zuckerberg and some of his deputies and um, I'm sure uh, other social media uh, websites as well. They spent those months devising a plan using well-tested psychological methods of uh, operant conditioning and classical conditioning uh, for the big ask. And that big ask was suppress this story. And that was asked for political purposes. NRF I should not be doing uh, the bidding of particular political parties and they should not be pursuing operant conditioning and classical conditioning of Americans to ask of them something which is against our First Amendment rights. And that, that's, that's, the, that's the summary for today's dump. They did something which was absolutely despicable and absolutely 100% against the law. And the fact that we have uh, a media, you look at Washington Post or New York Times, not a, not a mention, CNN, not a mention about, uh, about the Twitter dump for today, not a single thing. Uh, Fox had something on there. Uh, that's about it when, when it comes to the MSM. Um, it's this is this is unbelievable. This is um, our, 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 our mercenary media is is doing what it's it's been doing for for many years now. And um, I'm just hoping hoping out loud here. And I've said it before. I think the uh, mainstream media is dead. I think it's it's already dead. 
and it's already a rotting corpse and uh, people are just milling about it and, and talking to it and pretending like it's not dead, but it's dead and it just doesn't know it yet. And um, that that's, um, that's, my, that's my hopes. It's dead, yeah. Of course, the legacy media is dead. There's no doubt about it. And I don't care. There could be 89 Twitter dumps. They're not going to talk about it at all. They're not. They're not going to talk about it at all. The only way, the only way there might be some more talk about this is if these if these files, if these future files start mentioning journalists' names, right? If they start mentioning journalists at CNN, MSNBC, and implicating the people who aren't talking about this, implicating them, it gets to a point where it gets to a fever pitch where they have to try to defend themselves. We're seeing this with the, by the way, Daniel, we're seeing this with the border. CNN, MSNBC has not said one word about the border until about a week ago because it, it's, it gets to like a fever pitch point, right? The Democrats said nothing about the border until those Title 42, which, by the way, uh, the, John Roberts and the Supreme Court, just, just they've, 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 they've kept Title 42 in, at least temporarily. Um, it was due to expire on Wednesday. And the media started talking about it. So it does get to a point where you have to. Right. Where it's like so glaring and everyone's in the public's faces that you have to start talking about it. And I'm going to guess that point will come eventually. And it may come when journalists stop being implicated and they have to yes. defend themselves and then they'll have yes. to talk about it to defend themselves. It will be interesting to see. And that could very well be an upcoming dumps. It will be interesting to see whether uh, Twitter, um, any of the players at Twitter um, had any um, correspondence with the mainstream media. Look, you basically had this guy, Yul Roth, which was basically a kid, um, extremely naive about the world. And he was being conditioned by uh, our FBI to, to just, you know, fall in line slowly. I mean, they, they invited him to um, mock sessions for um, how one might deal with uh, misinformation, et cetera, uh, if, if um, they were to come across it, if they were to come across it. Of course, this was all conditioning him to, like one of Pavlov's dogs, just respond in a specific manner when the time came for the big ask, which was suppress this story. Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt about it. And, and, and this thing, I'm going to read an article that was written in the Post a couple of days ago, and it says Twitter's top ranks riddled with ex-FBI employees. What? Why oh, would yeah. a why would a tech why would a so why would a, an app like Twitter need all these ex FBI employees? They don't, but but <laughs> the FBI employees needed Twitter and they needed Facebook and they were infiltrating both of those organizations and many more. Yeah, I've never heard of a tech company being made up. I've never. Hey, I'm doing a startup. Do you know about twenty FBI employees we could hire? Who who's heard of that? Who's heard of, of a tech not. company hiring even if, one former yeah, FBI? And one of the one of the things Dorsey, Dorsey said about Twitter was that um, he grew it much too fast and it got out of hand. That's not, not a verbatim quote, but it's pretty damn close. Um, it just it, that, and that quote um, it's kind of stuck in my mind because it, it's it's obvious that at some point he was just like hiring people right and left, you know, and mm -hmm. um, not knowing exactly what their purpose was. And, and it's obvious he didn't know exactly what their purpose was because Musk comes in and he cleans out half the employees and the operation is still running just fine. Well, you know, you said that the main, the legacy media is not talking about it, except of course, Fox, which Fox is the most, which is the most watched cable news channel in the world. And, uh, and New York Post is talking about it. You should, I, I really that's recommend- true, true. The Post is as well, of course. Yeah, and the Post is one of the oldest, you know, journalistic outlets in the world, and they've written several stories today. 
another story is about the F- that I mentioned the FBI paying Twitter back more than three million dollars for doing his dirty work. They talk about the mysterious Aspen Institute and why did hold a Hunter Biden exercise. The terrible toll of COVID McCarthyism, Chief Twit's improv management, and other commentary. Evidence shows FBI Biden campaign and Twitter work together to suppress it. So they're writing all these stories. They've wrote like five stories in the last couple of days about this. So they are actually out there. Remember, a lot of New Yorkers, even the left-wing ones, do read the Post. It's it, it's it, So it is out there. It's just not hitting the Washington Post, the New York Times, CNN, MSNBC, uh, NPR. We would expect that. And like I said, it, it'll have to get to the point where it's such a fever pitch and people start, and these journalists start being called out and named that they'll have to start responding to it. Um, but it's obvious the reason why they don't want to talk about it is because they have all, they all have, at the very least, they all have egg on their face for not covering it. And of course, I think it's even worse than that. They colluded to make sure this was all not covered, right? They yeah, colluded I, to make, I, once again, but that, that, that's what we're not hearing. We're only hearing about Twitter. We're not a little bit about Facebook, a lot about Twitter, nothing about YouTube, nothing about Instagram, nothing about Google, nothing about CNN, MSNBC, TikTok, right? Sure. All of them working with the FBI. You know, that happened as well, you know? Yes. So, course, and the only yeah. way, the only reason we're hearing about this, of course, is because Musk bought Twitter. So, um, everyone is just going to assume that all these things occurred at other, all those other social media um, sites. And um, I, don't, I don't think that, um, that this is the, I don't think COVID is, is coming up next. I think there's going to be a few more dumps related to um, Twitter and its um, coziness with uh, FBI. Um, I, think there's, I think there's quite a bit more there. That, that, I mean, just, just think of how many emails that um, going back and forth and that um, Twitter, and Twitter and the FBI and the media, et cetera, et cetera, there are. I mean, it's just got this treasure trove of information, and it's got to take a while for the uh, team that's in there of journalists that are pouring over this stuff to sort it out. So I don't, I don't think we're going to – we may move on to COVID next, but I think we're definitely going to be circling back around with more Twitter dumps on this matter. Oh no, no, no doubt about it. But obviously, the next thing in line is is COVID, right? The next thing in line is COVID and the vaccines. That's obviously coming up because now we're into late twenty twenty. So yeah, oh yeah, it's definitely coming up. Yeah, you know, because remember now we're past the election. Biden won, so this whole Hunter Biden, this this whole you know squashing the Hunter Biden story was to help Joe Biden win. They 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 succeeded in doing that now. So there'd be no reason past that election to do much more of the Hunter Biden thing. And, of course, yeah. we, fought, we find out that Hunter Biden laptop story did eventually come out. Obviously, it did eventually come out earlier this year. So I think we're going to really – once again, it might be wishful thinking. I'm really hoping for the COVID stuff soon. you know. But I think Elon probably wants to get as much of this out there before the Republicans take over in two weeks. Yeah. So they have all the information um, out there, and they can start investigating this stuff. They yeah, can have – what, yeah, what do you yeah. think is more likely that we're going to um, discover connections between um, the manipulations at Twitter and the mainstream media um, with respect to COVID or with respect to the Hunter uh, uh, Biden laptop story? Well, like I said, I think the Hunter Biden laptop, the laptop story is mostly a late 2019 into 2020 thing because the election and once the election was over, I don't think they I think they took all deep, uh, you know, a sigh of relief. They didn't have to worry about that anymore. And I think then the next focus would have def- just been on on COVID stuff. 
you know, on yeah, uh, the right. next the next focus would have been on getting that vaccine into as many arms as possible, right? And to make right. sure there's no information right. out there that would make people yeah. think twice about taking it. Yeah, the question I'm asking is, is um, where do you think we're going to see the greatest connections between Twitter and MSM? Um, that is a collusion of sorts between Twitter and the MSM. Yeah. And, uh, and, I, 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 I would bet you it's COVID. Yeah, that's that's what my that's what my uh, suspicion is too. Is, yeah, is that would, it's going to be simply simply because um, they just seem to be marching in lockstep with respect to the type of information they were um, suppressing. Now, of course, the FBI could be, could have been talking to M- MSNBC and and uh, um, uh, CNN and New York Times and Washington Post, et cetera, and giving them the same spiel. Uh, and um, and with respect to, you know, like the Hunter laptop tours, they could be giving the same sort of uh, spiel with respect to COVID and say, and, and, and um, or I shouldn't say the FBI, sorry, I meant to say um, um, uh, NIH and uh, uh, Fauci's office at NAIDA. Um, they could be, could have been giving them the same spiel, um, which is um, they, they slowly conditioned them um, for some of the big asks that were coming. So the conditioning, could have started happening actually well, well, well before COVID was even known. And, yeah, and, I, and, and I, I, I we, have, we have this 2009 swine flu pandemic, yeah. which, which showed us exactly what these people were up to. So I think we should, should suspect and expect that um, this conditioning of, of the mainstream media to respond for specific asks that are going to come from Fauci's office and many other public health offices um, to to suppress suppress the uh, voices cutting voices with respect to COVID policy, I think they started working on this far before um, COVID was uh, um, burst on to the uh, the landscape here. Um, yeah. This this it's just it's too suspicious. 2009 and what happened there with swine flu was really a remarkable event and that so few people know about. And and it just laid the groundwork like a blueprint for what was to follow in 2019 and beyond. Yeah, but I, I I wouldn't be surprised if we also find that the FBI was involved with the COVID stuff also, with, with squashing people's like you know like McCullough and and Bhattacharya. I'm sure. I have no doubt well, that it could be. It could yeah. be that if, if yeah, if, if Fauci and Collins got, um, got them wrapped up into it somehow, that that's possible. And jeez, um, oh man. Yeah, you know, so it, I, it's, it's, this is this is scary shit. I mean, um, right. I, I, I don't I don't understand how Democrats, my former party, could be looking at this and trying to sweep it under the comp- under the carpet. Do they really not understand how dangerous this is for our country? I mean, are they really sitting back there? Are they such partisans that they are going to protect the party, possibly at the cost of our country? I once again, I I really think that I really think Larry Elder put his finger on it yesterday when I was watching him on on uh, Steve Hilton's show, The Next Revolution on Fox, when he said that all these people, they had the same mindset. They excused it by saying to themselves, Republicans, they really, truly believed and continue to believe that Republicans slash Trump are awful fascists and they had to do whatever they could had to do to get rid of them to get rid of him and to get rid of Republicans. 
and it doesn't matter. It, it was all it was all for the greater Daniel, it was all for the greater good, right? How how often did we hear that over the last three years? For the greater yeah, I just, good. I mean that, that, that so much of that definitely happened, but I just can't believe that there weren't a sufficient number of cool heads that were saying, Hey, you're unleashing a monster here a monster in various bureaucracies in their country, whether it's COVID and NIH, or whether it's the FBI, it's, it's, you're unleashing a monster. And if you do this and you let them get away with it, next time they get away with it, it won't be to your political advantage. And every time they get away with it, it is going to hurt our country immensely. I just can't believe there weren't cooler heads that were saying this to these people. I mean, when the military industrial complex was created, our president stood up and was was saying, cautioning everybody, I think I'm creating a monster here. I mean, yeah. there's yeah. gotta be so many and that was, you know, that was when he, as he was creating it, he was cautioning everybody he was creating a monster. Right. I mean, they've got they've gotta be cognizant of the fact that this Machiavellian type approach they're taking to politics is going to have repercussions that that are going to be immense for our country fuck their fuck their politics fuck their partisan politics in their party this is going to do tremendous damage to our country they're, they're throwing out the baby with the bathwater. they're burning the house down to, to get a fly um, it's 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 incredible that they that they don't have more insight into the the, the tactics that they're using and how it can harm us all yeah well look the fact of the matter is that and I'll talk about this, you know, I can mention a couple of other things. It, it is very partisan. It's all about partisan politics. I mean, they, they are so, they're so out of it that they'll say things like the border problem is, is a problem because Demo- Republicans talk about it. They, they actually say this. There are Democrats who are saying the border problem is a problem because, because Republicans talk about it. And because Republicans talk about it, it makes immigrants come here. This, this is what they say. This is, it's not the Biden administration policies. It's not the fact that three million people are coming across the border this year, the more than ever before. That's not the problem. The problem, the problem is the Republicans pointed out as a problem. And I saw this today too. Maria Algetin second. There was a shooting here in San Francisco at a bus station, at the 24th Street bus station. Someone was killed. And there are actually people, there were Democrats, who think that we are making a bigger deal of this. Then we're we're causing this to happen because we're making this a bigger deal than it really is. We're, we're, we are we are pointing out that crime's getting worse, and because we're pointing it out, is making crime get worse. This is they, these people twist themselves into 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 pretzels instead of blaming who's obviously to blame, which is the people who've been running these things forever and who are making the policies. Okay, those are the people who are to blame. The people who make it easier for immigrants to come across the border are the ones to blame. The ones who make it easier for, for, for criminals to commit crimes and not go to jail, those are the people who are to blame. Those are the people and the policies that are to blame. But, the, but, but, but partisan politics is such a, it's such a cult now. These people are such cultists. Yeah, that's why we call them the, I call them the branch covidians and we call them the branch covidians. It, it's, a, it's a cult and they, and they, they either can't think clearly or simply don't want to think clearly. Or they've got, I mean, I'm hearing totally what you're saying. I agree with it. And I just want to add is that, or they think that they are so adept at controlling the narrative and the message because they're the MSM and they think that they've really got a handle on this um, and, and they really can control this message. 
they have become so arrogant in thinking that they control this message that they are feel that they're no longer constrained by reality. And reality doesn't give a rat's ass about their ability to control a message. It's going to come back to bite anyone that tries to bend the truth. The truth always has a way. It, it, it's, it's very expensive to suppress the truth. <laughs> the, the truth, on the, the, the other hand, just, you know, it, it's out there. It's, um, it, it's, it's a, you, don't, you don't have to devote a lot of resources to shaping the truth. It's the truth is eventually going to, to um, isn't that, wasn't that, isn't that the X file slogan? The truth is out there. I think it was. I don't know. I never watched that show. Um, it's but, but, but it's a supreme, it's supreme arrogance. They, they think that they can really control uh, the, the message and that reality just offers no constraints on their power, but it does. And um, we're seeing some of that happen right now. Yep. Daniel, thanks anyway, have a great night. You too, Daniel. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Okay, take the next caller. Let's go to Maria. Hey, Maria, you're on Let's Be Heard. What's up? What's going on tonight? Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. No Is problem. Is there any way you can bring Daniel up as another speaker or moderator? I, I think he adds a lot to the conversation. Daniel is basically another speaker. He's, he's, he's my co-host, basically, unnamed. No, Daniel always has a great look. I love all my callers. I think Daniel says great stuff, lad. We have you know Iggy from from London. You you were the callers on this show are really good. We don't got a lot of them right now, but the ones who call in are really good. They make really good salient points, and they often they say things I don't even think of, which is difficult because I think of almost everything. Maria, so w- what's on your mind tonight? Well, I I hear I hear you all making a lot of discussion about bipartisanship. Um, and I, I don't exactly see it that way. I mean, it plays out that way, but ultimately I think we're just suffering from corporatocracy and no matter what party is in control of whatever, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be in a crony capitalist state regardless Especially when we have government saying that unions can't, you know, can't fight for sick days or things like that. I that's that's nothing but corporatocracy. Well, you, unions can fight for sick days until the government says they can't fight for sick days, right? <laughs> and that's that's the that's the the thing about you know Joe Biden is he always oh I'm I'm pro union Joe. But then when it came to the the train thing, it's like, oh no, too no, that's too dangerous. We can't stop. We can't. We can't. We can't hurt the economy. It's too too much of a danger. Too bad. You know, it's 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 kind of like you have to kind of you either have to be for it or against it. Now, you know, as far as you you know, our, our Washington representatives, when they get elected, get free health care for life. Of course. Absolutely. They get pen- you get a if they're in office or not. Yeah, if you serve one term, you get a pension, Maria. One term. Think yeah. about that. Think about that. Who who serves two, four, six years? Who go who's who has a job for two to six years and leaves and gets a pension? Nobody. It's ridiculous. But that's the way it is, because they make the rules. This is why I bring up all the time, it drives me nuts, that the mayor of San Francisco makes $350,000 a year. Once again, that's just salary. Forget about everything else. The, the highest paid mayor in the country in the city of a half million people because 
the the board of supervisors keep giving raises, right? They want to give raises. They want they all want to make a lot of money, and they all they all they all hope to be mayor one day, and they want to make this great salary. So they give themselves raises. They give the mayor raises, and this is it. This is the corruption. This is how it works, right? And, is, they, and they're they, they, the they only give them, people, they give themselves this stuff. Yeah, and they're the only people that can put limits on their salary, and mm-hmm. their you know finance reform yeah how many many, of course they're not gonna vote for that of course they're not gonna no of course not no look look i share i do share your 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 worries about you know like you say corporatocracy and 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 and, but but what i the 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 point i want to make though which i which i think is very important is that these basic fundamental principles of freedom of speech, of the First Amendment, of whatever Second Amendment, they these things have to be abided by. They should be givens. We shouldn't have to be talking about this stuff. You and I should be able to come on here every night. I should be able to come on every night. You, Daniel, everyone's supposed, to, and we should be talking about things like healthcare, improving healthcare, right? We should be talking about unions. We should be talking about blue collar workers. We should be talking about salaries, minimum wage. These are things we should be talking about, but it's not. We're talking about this crap because. People step these are the basic fundamental principles of, of our country. And once they are eroded, there's nothing left, Maria. There's nothing. We are we are a banana republic. So we have to fight for these things. And these things should be given. These people shouldn't be allowed to do this. But as long as we have people in powerful positions who want to take advantage of that power, um, we saw it during COVID, right? We saw it during COVID with just saying the word emergency gives you unlimited power. Why is that? Okay, but what's the recourse? What? How do you, in this day and age, how do you build back up, you know, social capital where people on the ground level actually organize and talk to each other about whether or not their so-called representatives are actually representing uh, where's the accountability? No. What what do we do to build that so- social capital back up? You know, you know, like Tocqueville talked about uh, bowling alone. You know, uh, there used to be social capital mechanisms. Yeah, I I I don't know where those exist aside from looking out for and supporting your independent journalists and free spaces, uncensored spaces like this and rumble. Yeah. I mean, like Daniel saying in the comments now, you and I are kind of, we're all doing that really, right? We're all doing our own part. When when you decide to do a podcast, when you decide to call into a podcast, when you decide to listen to podcasts on, on, on Spotify or call in or whatever it may be, and take part in that. We're all doing our little part, right, in trying to do exactly what you're saying. But the fact of the matter is, is that, and I think it, it works in a way. It really does work because I, I think if not for us, if not for us, a lot of this stuff would not have happened, right? The, it, this stuff would not have been revealed. All this nefarious stuff that's going on would not be revealed if not for people like us. Remember, we're the ones who built up social media. We're the ones who built up podcasts. We're the ones who built up Twitter to the point to where someone like Elon Musk got involved and decided to buy it. 
that didn't just happen by osmosis. It happened oh, because, okay, right, but yeah. awareness does not automatically mean eff- efficacy. That you know, it, the these platforms are. I understand raise a lot of awareness, but where 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 is the efficacy side, the delivery side to it? I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure how to relate the two. You, you know, it, it's a, it's a not it's not a question that's easy to answer. It's really not a question that's easy to answer. I mean, you mean when you say efficacy, you mean results, right? You're really talking about results, right? You want to see re- efficacy. I keep on thinking of the vaccines now, which have none. But the idea, the idea of results, where are the, where are the results, right? Where's the payoff? And I think that's a tough question to answer. I mean, you know. Where, 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 where are where, the people that are really motivated by these discussions and the level of awareness? Where, where are the best places to put our efforts and, you know, build our social capital with each other for actual action? in terms of forcing our representatives to actually represent that's you know uh, that's a tough question i mean look you 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 can elect the people that you decide are best if they don't do their jobs you can call them you can petition them you can email them you can go to capitol hill you have the right to talk to them there's a lot of things that can be done there's a lot of things that can be done no, they just, they just reply with form letters. Sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. I've, I've heard of people actually who have gone to their I've, – I've heard of people who have gone to their representatives and have actually gotten very concrete things done. There are some good ones. You know, we like to say they're all bad, all the bad. All politicians are awful. None of them care. None of them care. But that's not true. It really isn't true. You know, that's like saying all oh, police are bad or all oh, police are you – know, it's not true. Most, I think most people who get into politics get into it. Because they want to make positive changes, right? They believe in their, you know, I, I ran for office, right? I'll just say it myself. I ran for office thinking, okay, these are my principles, and I want to, I want to apply them. Okay, that's why I ran. I didn't run to say, oh, I want a great salary, I want a health care, I want a pension. That comes with it, and a lot of it shouldn't, but it is. But I got into it because I wanted my beliefs to be part of the of the social fabric. All right, I wanted to get it out there. I wanted to be I wanted to have some influence. But once again, even if I had one and I'm on one of 435, you know, whatever it is in Congress, you have very one person has very little power. You need more people to get together and go into politics for that reason. Now, Exactly. Yes, 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 but I believe some do. But you know, after, it's like it's like people go into police to be policemen. We're losing, we've lost like 300,000 policemen in the last two years here in San Francisco. Why is that? Because they're not feeling they're having any, as one policeman on TV put it, you, they're not going home with any sense of having any kind of sense of accomplishment because they're constantly being batted down. Everything they're doing, think of, think of just take it as being a cop. I can relate more to a cop than a politician. Take a cop who, who finds a criminal who works their ass off finds a criminal who, let's say, bashed someone's head in or raped a woman, and they're out the next day on bail. And you see that. And you put all your effort into doing something really good and doing great investigative work and street work and finding this criminal. And the next day, the powers that be above you say, up yours, 
and they let the guy go back out. How often can you do that before you just want to quit? You know, and so I think that's a lot of thing with politicians too. They go into it thinking, I'm going to do good. I'm going to make a difference. And then they, they're there term after term and it's not working. Look, Trey Gowdy on Fox said that. Trey Gowdy on Fox said, I could not. I went into it thinking I was going to make a difference, but the system beats you down and I left. Isn't that terrible? I mean, but I think a lot, a lot of them feel that way. Trey Gowdy, Texas. Trey Gowdy of Texas. Is Trey Gowdy, Texas? Maybe. Somewhere down south. <laughs> somewhere somewhere down south. Could be Texas. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm extra cynical because I live in Kentucky, um, and I, I just have no idea why people keep voting for Mitch McConnell. Oh, well, you know, Mitch McConnell is – look, then there are people like Mitch McConnell who are professional – politicians yeah who, who, I, I have I have no I have yeah. no respect for that I yeah. have no respect you know I'd I'd love to vote for a sanitation worker or a plumber or a dentist or an engineer yeah you know I I, I don't I don't want to vote for people that don't represent me well you know some of these people are, that's why we need term i really think that, by the way trey gowdy just a corrective south carolina fourth congressional district oh yeah 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 so Sorry. he spent he, so eight years for four terms and then he quit um mitch, people like mitch mcconnell i think term limits would, would would really help all this situation a lot i really do it wouldn't be a cure-all but yeah, I think term but limits would, guess would, would, who has yeah. to vote for term limits Yes, right. Yeah, they, I mean, they do, of course. And they don't want to because they don't want term limits because they want to be able to be in this forever. They want to be like Nancy Pelosi and McConnell and be in this for you know, 30, 40 years and make a lot of money and get, be very powerful and, uh, and, and just not, never have to worry about another job. Of course. And Biden. Yeah, yeah, half a century. Yeah, exactly. No, look, <laughs> I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. But I think that at some point, things do change. I don't know if there ever be term limits in, in, in politics in, in a, on a federal level, but I know people have fought for them on state and city levels, and they've won. You know, the people have fought for them on state and city levels, and there are plenty of state offices and city offices which are two-term limits. So it can happen. You know, it can happen. It's just a matter of, of, re- of really fighting for it, Maria. And, you know, I think you're doing that. I really do. I think we're all doing our part. You know, a lot of these questions you ask are very big questions. They don't have easy answers. And I agree with you on a lot of it. But the answer certainly isn't to just stop and quit. That's not the end. That's the, don't, don't you think they want that? Of course they want well, that. I, I, have no, I have no wherewithal whatsoever of not being aware. I, I, know, I know where to source information and independent journalists that I find to have high integrity consistently. I, I, just, I just find a real disconnect between awareness and efficacy of action without, without real social capital building efforts. No, I, I understand what you're saying. I do. You know, and like I said, it's going to take a lot of work. It really is. But I think we're in a much, I, I really think we're in a much better position now 
with the technology of doing things like, you know, podcasts and stuff where regular people are getting voices, you know, regular people are getting their voice uh, and developing a voice. And I think that is a lot better than it was before this, where people didn't have a, a way to reach a lot of people uh, in, in a fairly easy way. And I think I think that's that's changed. And I think that's changed things for the better. I think it's once again, we're very early in this. We're in the infantile stage of all this stuff. And I think it's going to take a lot longer before we get a, a, a more power. But I think that we have to just keep at it. That's all that's all I can really say. But I understand your your cynicism and I understand your frustration. I really well, do. Fair enough, and I it's probably only a matter of time before Colin is a is a paid you know has a paywall. I don't know. I, I was just uh, funny. You bring this up. I was just talking to uh, I was talking about this over the weekend, and I was, I was wondering, you know, where where David Sachs, who owns Colin, wanted to go with Colin. What was his? Is this a um, is this like a little hobby of his, a side thing? Does he? What does he want to really do with it? I I I, I don't actually know. Um, I know he's friends with Musk, you know, so. Uh, who knows what's going to happen there? Maybe Musk will make David Sachs CEO. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen with Colin, <clears throat> but I do like it's the fundamental principles of anyone can come on and, and do a podcast, right? I like that principle that you can just come on for free and put yourself on the calendar and do a podcast. So I like I like what he's doing right now. Where does he want to go with it? If he's just happy with it being this. Or, you know, I know David has money from other jobs. This might not be, he might not be looking for income from this. This might just be a side project of his. I do notice that David doesn't promote it much on Twitter. And I think if he wanted to make a lot of money at this, he'd promote it more. So I don't know. I, I don't know where it's going to go. But, I, you know, right now, if anyone else has any ideas of where Colin should go, where it might be going, please let me know. But I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, Twitter doesn't have a, there are, you know, if you want to go to the Post, if you want to go to the New York Times, there's a paywall. But social media outlets like YouTube and Twitter and, and Facebook don't have any paywalls. I mean, Twitter has this thing where you can pay eight bucks and get a blue check mark and get some things like being able to, you know, little advantages of a subscription, just the way YouTube has advantages of a subscription. But I don't think, I don't think many of these things are going to have a paywall, meaning you can't use them unless you pay. You know, it's just like membership. Has, it's just like membership has its privileges. You know, but I think that I, I don't. I don't think it's going to be any kind of a paywall on call in or paywall on on Twitter or Facebook. I just well, I don't. Yeah, I'll just appreciate it as long as it lasts. Yeah, so. exactly, Maria. Thank you for the call. I really appreciate it. All right, I was, thank I was, you. Thanks. What's you went, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, thanks for calling, Maria. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> okay, of course, absolutely. Okay. All right. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I was discussing, I think, was it Daniel? I think Daniel and I were discussing what exactly he wants, what exactly David Sachs wants to, to do with this. I, I don't know. I, I truly don't know. I, I, I don't know any, anything behind the scenes. I don't know. You know, so I don't know what he does. I don't know if he, if he pays anyone to do a show on here. I don't know. I know he's not paying me. I don't know. So I, I don't know exactly what the deal is. It's, it's very possible, but I do follow him on Twitter. I retweet him a lot. He says a lot of great things. I think he's a smart guy. He lives in San Francisco. This is all based in San Francisco. So, you know, but I don't see him 
promoting it much on Twitter. So that's, you know, basically, uh, Daniel, do you want to, do you, Daniel, you want to come back on? Oh, there you go. Are you playing with, are you playing with uh, buttons, Daniel? Yeah, I think Daniel's playing with buttons. Um, but, you know, Maria brings up a lot of good points. She does. I mean, what's the end result? Where, where, when are we going to see success? When are we going to see some results? When are we going to say we won? I mean, I think this stuff with the, the Twitter dumps is winning. We, all of us, the collective us, social media, uh, podcasts, all this stuff, we led to Elon Musk buying Twitter. Without us, Elon Musk doesn't buy Twitter. Because he's really, even though he's a very rich guy, he's kind of one of us. He was a, he was a fan. He was a user of Twitter, right? So, and I also know that Clay Travis, who, who was it, Outkick? He's on Fox Up, but he runs Outkick. I know he said earlier, he said months before Twitter, months before Musk bought Twitter, he said, when, when Musk was thinking, when Musk was on Twitter saying, should I start my own social media platform? Clay Travis, I want to give credit what credit's due, said to him, don't do that. Just buy Twitter. It's already there. It's already, <laughs> why start? So, we've seen all these other platforms try to start. We've seen wealthy people, famous wealthy people try to start other platforms and it doesn't gain the following Twitter has. Twitter already has a quarter billion users just buy Twitter. And that's what happened. So, but Clay Travis is a, is a, is a, is a, is a journalist, not a journalist, sorry. He's a talk radio personality. He does a podcast. So we all, we all put our effort into getting Elon Musk to buy Twitter. And look at what's happened. If he didn't buy Twitter, none of this would come out. If he didn't buy Twitter, none of this would be happening. This is a win. Yeah, we knew it. I didn't know it went this deep. Maybe I'm a little naive. I don't know what went this deep. I don't, all these Twitter dumps, this is dump number seven. I did not know what went this deep. This, this, this incestuous between these organizations. But now we're finding out all this information that we never would have known. So I think this is a win. This is illuminating. Right? What do they say? Sunlight's the best disinfectant, although it doesn't work for COVID. Um, this, is, this is what we're seeing here now. So I think that's a win. Just because CNN isn't covering it and MSNBC, look, the fact that CNN, MSNBC, and the legacy media is not covering it shows it's a win. They don't want to cover it because they've been caught. They know they've been wrong all this time. They know it. They've been caught. Okay. The Hunter Biden story was real. They pretended it wasn't. They said it was Russian information. It obviously wasn't. They were caught. They were wrong. They don't want to admit it, which is why they don't want to talk about it. They were probably implicit in it, as I'm sure we'll see in future dumps, so they don't want to talk about it. That's a win, as far as I'm concerned. You can't force them to talk about it. Who cares? It's a win. We know, we know it's under, we know it's gotten under their skin. It's gotten under their skin. And that is a huge win. And I really recommend people read the New York Post because I won't read these right now because we've gotten pretty deep into the show here. But they have several articles in the last couple of days all about this stuff, about the FBI, about Twitter being full of FBI agents, about the FBI paying Twitter $3 million for all this, about the Aspen Institute, about COVID McCarthyism, all of this stuff. The, Tw the New York Post is not – the New York Post isn't some – you know, fly-by-night operation that has a circulation of 10 people. A lot of people read the New York Post. 
So the New York Post is, is and the New York Post know they won because they were censored. They wrote the story in October, mid October of 2020. They know they've been vindicated. You see. So they're going to constantly write about this. This is a, every article they write is a victory lap for them. So I recommend people, maybe I'll read some of these articles tomorrow. But they're really, they're really interesting. And I think the one that's going to lead us into the next batch of drops, of dumps, is the uh, terrible toll. Uh, this was written today, or the 19th. Terrible toll of COVID McCarthyism, chief twits, improv management, and other commentary. So this is going to be, I think this is where really leading into the next dumps of all of the stuff that they've, that they, all the collusion between big tech, big government, possibly even the FBI, these, you know, the, the uh, CDC, Fauci, and everyone else, and, and, and censoring real doctors, censoring real doctors, providing information. We saw, I saw an article yesterday that said that they're now admitting, uh, the big harm is now admitting that there's a blood, clot, a blood clot risk. Now, I think they admitted to 12 and a million people, something like that, 12 out of every million. But so what? So if they're admitting to that, we know it's more. But why wasn't that information provided at the beginning? Well, because, of course, the vaccines were tested for two and a half hours. But that's why you need to test a vaccine for, for more than two and a half hours before putting it in people's arms. But that's information that was censored. There were people like myself that were saying this was a possibility, right? Remember Johnson & Johnson? What happened to Johnson & Johnson? Remember that one shot? You want to get, hey, I got the Johnson & Johnson. I got one shot. You don't need two. Remember they had to pull it because the blood clots were going crazy? But that went, like, that story disappeared. Where's the, where, what happened to that? Nothing. It just went away. Johnson Johnson just slinked away with their vaccines and their, and their poison baby powder. They just slinked away. So people needed to have all the information. You give adults all the information, Okay. Even if it's 12 in a million get blood clots, that is information the people who may or may not take the vaccine have the right to know before they make a decision. That was censored. Yeah, of course they're admitting it now. How many billions of vaccines have been out there? How many arms have been shot with these jabs? How much money have they made off it now, two years later? This should have been information in December of 2020. People should have known this information. And then an adult could have said, okay, I'm 35, I'm healthy, there's a slight chance I'll get a blood clot, I'm not going to take it. Or I'm 85 and I'm in the high-risk group, I got diabetes, I don't care if there's a 12 in a million shot, I get a blood clot, I'm going to take it. Let adults make their decision based on actual information. That was censored. Only one side was given, safe and effective Greater good. Safe. How many times did we hear that? Safe, effective, the mantra. Safe, effective for the greater good. Safe, effective for the greater good. It's brainwashing. That's not information. That's one-sided narrative brainwashing. This is why, as I was talking with Daniel earlier, I think there's going to be tons of proof that the collusion between the media and censoring information about COVID was much worse than the Hunter Biden story. Because look at all the money Big Pharma's made. Look at all the money the media, the legacy media's made with ads, with Big Pharma ads, with vaccine ads. Money. Money. The Hunter Biden story was power, right? It was getting Biden elected and Trump kicked out. It was about power. This COVID stuff is more is certainly a power element, 
but it's more about money, money, big pharma, Fauci, big media, money. So follow the money, right? I think we're going to find far, far worse and deeper collusion with the COVID stuff than with the Hunter Biden laptop. Without a doubt, without a doubt. And hopefully that's coming soon. I was actually disappointed. I wake, I wake up today, I see COVID file seven. I think it's going to see the COVID files and it's more Hunter Biden stuff. And I think, oh shit, I'm tired of talking about Hunter Biden. But no, it's really important. It's really important. And of course, Elon hasn't told us how many files there are. I mean, there could be 30 of these, right? Well, he hasn't said how many there are. He didn't say how many dumps there He probably doesn't know himself. They're still going through all this information. I do want to mention one thing quickly about the Elon Musk poll. I mentioned it earlier, but I don't, I don't think it matters whether he's CEO or not. In fact, I don't think he needs to be CEO of Twitter. I think he can hire someone who has his beliefs about free speech. He's still going to be the boss. Hire someone else, pay them a salary, and they're going to run it. So it wasn't like he put up a poll, should I sell Twitter? It was simply, should I not be the CEO anymore? That's all, you know. So I don't think it's a big deal. I think he's going to step down very soon anyway as CEO. And I think that was his intention of stepping down as CEO. So um, once again, this is kind of much ado about nothing. And it's very funny listening to the media saying, oh, this proves he doesn't know what he's doing. He's putting up polls. Well, he knows exactly what he's doing. First of all, how dumb is the legacy media? He puts up a poll like that and it gets to- coverage. It gets, it got coverage on every network, by the way. It wasn't just, it wasn't just me. It wasn't just podcasts. It wasn't just Fox. That poll was all over everywhere. And he knew when the poll showed, if the poll showed that the majority wanted him to step down, that was going to get even more coverage by the legacy media because they were going to brag about how everyone wants him out. And look at the coverage Twitter's getting. Look at the publicity Twitter get it, Twitter's getting across the board now. He knows exactly what he's doing. The guy isn't worth. I know we like to believe that people who have all this money just stepped on people and are dumb and got lucky or whatever or born into it. I'm sorry. He doesn't reach the success level he has with the money in the companies he's had. Tesla, SpaceX, unless he's a very smart man. He's not dumb. He's very calculating. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. Greg, what are you saying? Because of what's going on in China? What are you saying? Because of what's going on in China? What? There's a lot going on in China. Because of what's going on in China, there might be another COVID wave soon. Oh, please. Greg, shut up with your vax crap. Yeah, because what's going on in China? Right, get vaxxed. How about wear masks? They don't wear masks in China, huh? I guess they don't wear... First of all, the vaccine in China is shit, but it's maybe 10% shittier than our vaccine. Get vaxxed. Get vaxxed. 99.2% 99.2% of LA is vaxxed and they have a huge outbreak. 99.3% of New York is vaxxed. The, the most vaxxed cities have the biggest outbreaks. China, where, they, where they've worn masks for decades, they, it started there and it, it, it gets worse and worse the more they wear masks. Come on, stop it. Don't be an idiot. All right, I'm going to end on that note, calling Greg an idiot. Um, but uh, uh, I could do a last call. I do a last call calls. I want to be fair. I'll do a last call for calls going once. This is like last call for for, for, for uh, alcohol at two in the morning at the bar. Maria, you want to talk again? Maria, you have a last comment? 
Maria, hello. You there? Well, if if it's your farewell sign off. <laughs> farewell. It's not farewell. I'll be back tomorrow night. I'm just a few <laughs> Farewell until tomorrow sign off. <laughs> yes. My farewell until tomorrow sign off. No, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not putting up any poll asking people if I should stop doing the show forever. <laughs> no, no, no. Because I, I don't know the way that poll is going to go, Maria. You know what I'm saying? No, please, please keep doing what you're doing. But I, you're, you're right. People in China have been wearing masks for ages because it's like the most Yes. High pollution, air pollution country in the world. Right. That's why they wore masks. By the way, they never, they didn't they weren't wearing masks because of of you know the flu or colds. They've been wearing masks because their their air is such horrible quality. And there have actually been a lot of studies done that show that those the high quality masks, the N95 masks, can give you some kind of protection from from pollutants, from air pollutants. You know, so they've done that forever there. Um, and, and the fact, but the fact of the matter is that it, it's so ridiculous because you're seeing these, as far as this country goes, you're seeing the highest vaccinated areas have the most COVID. You're seeing people who are vaccinated getting COVID seven, eight times. You're seeing people who are getting vaccinated going to the hospital and dying. You're seeing China, who, where they've worn masks forever, where they keep on having more and more COVID explosions. The latest article in the New York Times is like, it's exploding in China. You know what that might mean for the U.S.? Oh, my God. Well, why is it exploding in China when they all wear masks? Why is it exploding in China when they've locked down, had real lockdowns, where they chase people into their apartments and they don't let them leave? Why hasn't it, why hasn't it gone away? Why, wasn't, why hasn't COVID been defeated in heavily masked, heavily locked down China? Why hasn't COVID been defeated in heavily, heavily vaccinated L.A., San Francisco, and New York? You know why? Because three years into this, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Maria, I don't mean to yell at you. It doesn't work. None of it yeah, works. I, I, I didn't say anything about that that I'm aware of. <laughs> no, Greg did. Greg in his comments did. That's all I'm saying. I, I was just... You know, you wouldn't go to your dentist or your surgeon and ask them not to wear a mask. Uh, there are practical applications to it. But in terms of virulent transmission, I, you know, it's, it's highly debatable. Well, your surgeon and your, and, your, and your dentist wore them because they didn't want to get the bodily fluids of you in them. Like your blood for a surgeon. No one, no surgeon wants the blood to splash in their face. I wouldn't want that. Go in my nose and my mouth. And your dentist often did it to make you feel better. But then again, there's those scrapings from your teeth. Who wants that stuff in your mouth? You know, look, like you said, like you said, there were very practical applica applications that had nothing to do with virus transmission. That's all. Well, I never liked the fact that my, I always, I always preferred. Have I? Dentists. Yeah, I guess dentists always did when they when they're giving you when they're giving you like a cav when they're drilling your cavity, they always wore masks, right? It always yeah, kind of, well, that always kind of bothered me. I wanted to see my dentist's face. I wanted to see my dentist's face as he as he as he tortured me. That's well, my my dad's a dentist, um, and I I assisted him when I was a teenager for several years. I still do sometimes, but there there are a lot of toxic toxic things. Uh, when you open a tooth up that, you know, it's, it's protection for the yeah. dentist 
uh, you know, the things where they place the rubber dam in your mouth to keep you from ingesting those materials. You know, Maria, I hate talk. You know, I hate dentists. Nothing against, nothing against your father. I don't like dentists. I, I am, I'm totally afraid. I'm afraid of dentists. I'll admit it. I'm afraid of dentists. Wow. I, I talk to my dentist every day. And every day? You talk to your dentist? Yeah, I talk to my dad every day. Oh, your dad? Okay. Yeah, that's good. You should talk to your dad every day. Your dad, if, if, yeah. your dad you should talk to every day. A dentist, uh, you want to usually not talk to unless you absolutely have to. I don't know. I've always been, that's been the thing with me. It, it, this is amazing. I'll end on this note. I'll end on a personal note. When I was a kid, I'm talking 10, 11, 12 years old, I used to get cavities drilled with no nothing, no gas, no Novocaine, raw. My dentist could not believe it. They could not believe it. And I said, yeah, I, it, it, for some reason, I had a high pain threshold. I never wanted any, I figured, why get a shot? The shot's going to hurt. I don't like the gas. I don't like that weird feeling. So I'm just going to get the, and when I was a kid, I used to get cavities filled with nothing. But in, as an adult, I'm afraid of dentists. How did that happen? So as a kid, I had no fear. But as an adult, I have gained this, this, well, you know, I guess that happens, right? There are people who at some point in their life, they fly, and then all of a sudden they get afraid of flying. And it, it, it didn't even have to be a bad experience. It just happens sometimes, right? Well, I guess my, people... my dad's highly specific in meditation practices and calming, soothing environments. Ooh. And when when he gives you the lidocaine, mepivacaine injections, you don't even know what he he's doing because he's got that he's got that easy of a hand, soft hands. He's got very soft hands. He's, some dentists have very soft hands, and some not so much. Depends. Depends. Well, I've, had, I've had both. I, I've known both kinds of dentists. Some with very soft hands where you hardly even feel it, and some. We just kind of, you know, jab it in there. So, Maria, let, let me let you go. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Thanks. Have, a, have a good night, Maria. Have a good night. And I didn't think we'd end this on dentistry, uh, but we did. You never know where it's going to go, right? You never know where things are going to go. All right. So that's been the Monday version of And Let's Be Heard. This show airs. Karthik, you're coming in too late. Karthik comes in and out. He comes in and out. In and out, in and out. Uh, this show airs Monday night through Friday night, 11 p.m. Pacific, 2 a.m. Eastern Time. It's uh, called And Let's Be Heard. I'm Micah Chopoli. Uh Thanks for listening.